Good morning, New Life Church. I am so glad you are here on this special weekend. Let me also say happy Thanksgiving to you. I, uh, some of you, maybe you've already had your, your gathering and your big meal, and the turkey effect might be uh, kicking in here pretty soon. Uh, but I really enjoyed just hearing you guys express your thanks to God there. A um, little worried that you might figure out that if you just kept going, I wouldn't have time to preach, to be honest. And that would have been totally okay, too. It was just such a wonderful thing just uh, together to be able to celebrate all that we uh, have to be thankful for. Uh, my big meal is coming after church. Erica went home early. We had to add two leaves to our living room table. You know what that means. There's good food coming, right? When you add a leaf to the table. And so I'm just really thankful that I have some family here. My parents, my beautiful 91-year-old grandmother is here. She's, gonna, she's here in the room. And hey, Grandma. And uh, she and some other family are going to be joining us afterwards for a, a great meal and a celebration. Uh, love this weekend. Before I go into the message here, just want to share with you uh, some kind of updated COVID measures that the CMT has uh, decided in our meeting this last week uh, to enact. And right from the beginning, which is mid, do you remember the beginning, March? Doesn't that feel like so long ago? March, we've been in this for a long time. But right from the beginning as a church, you know, we decided that we were definitely going to follow all the government regulations uh, throughout this time, and we, and we have to this point, but, uh, you know, we're aware that there are some within our church that might be in, in a more vulnerable category, that um, have some concerns that go beyond our, our government regulations that have laid out, and so, uh, you know, we've just been hearing as, as, uh, as a CMT, a leadership team, just lots of thoughts and ideas and suggestions and concerns and, uh, you know, there's a lot of that out there. You go on Facebook, there's just a lot of division and dissension in our world, right? You just need to go on Facebook. I just want to tell you that I am so proud of you as a church, the way that you've approached this. And I am so proud of the CMT and the leadership team, the way that they've navigated this, this complex issue. Um, you know, any of you that have just kind of brought your own perspective, your own concerns, have always done so in a completely gracious spirit. And I just, we just don't take that for granted. And so I just thank you. I'm very proud of the way our church is navigating this together. And let's just keep up uh, the good work. And, and I feel like we are united and God is at work amongst us. And so uh, at, at our meeting on uh, Thursday, the CMT, just out of a, a desire to see as many people as possible be able to come here and find a safe environment uh, a safe and accessible place for as many as possible. They've just decided to make a few changes. I want to make you aware of beginning next Sunday and then going forward through this time of elevated restrictions. Our first service, our 9 o'clock service, is going to be a fully masked service. So if you're here next week at, uh, in the first service, uh, we need to wear masks throughout from the time you enter the building to the time you leave. But during the second service, during this time, beginning next week, it's going to look very much like it does right now, okay? Uh, we're going to need to wear masks when we come in, move about, stand, sing. But when we're seated in this way during announcements and the sermon, we'll have the, the, the liberty, should we want to use it, to, uh, just to remove our masks. And uh, so the CMT has just felt this is a great way to make our gatherings as safe and accessible to as many people as possible. And I just think they've done a great job and have acted very wisely in that. So that begins next, uh, next Sunday. All of our midweek programs are going to kind of remain the way they have been to this point, um, fully masked except where we can be seated in a socially distanced way. There'll be a few other little differences. Uh, the, we're going to close the cafe for, uh, for this time. This is your last Sunday to get a cinnamon bun, so you might want to load up 
right? Or maybe Tracy will make deliveries over this time. I guess you could ask her. Um, there'll be a few other little things, just kind of improving some of our sanitation measures. One of the things we will ask is that after the service, you know, we, we do want you to be able to interact and have some fellowship, but about 15 minutes after the service, we just would ask that uh, you make your way out of the building so that our cleaning team just has time and space to be able to do what they need to do. So again, we're just trying to, to just to, in, in a spirit of, of love for everyone, find a way to make to make church as safe and as accessible for as many people as we can. All right, so that, uh, and, and there's gonna be an email. By the time you get home, uh, you should probably find it in your inbox that outlines uh, that in a little bit more detail. If you're not getting those weekly emails from our church, I really wish you would. And uh, that's our primary way of communicating. So if you haven't been seeing emails from the church every week and you would like those, just call the office and give Sarah your email address and we'll make sure that you get on that list. All right. I've got this vivid memory. I think it was 2009 because uh, Britta was just an infant, just a few months old. I can't believe that Erica let me go to Rwanda when, when Britta was just a few months old. But I have this vivid memory of standing on a kind of a steep, verdant hillside in Rwanda with, with a team, with my short-term mission team for my church there in Blind River, Ontario. We were standing there uh, by this hut, this little round mud hut with a thatched roof. It was little. Like, I mean, it might have been eight feet across. Big enough really just to have a bed inside, and that's all. And we were standing there um, meeting this family, uh, a family of seven, uh, a widowed mother with six children, most of them young. And they lived in this little hut. Uh, four of them slept on top of the bed, which was kind of raised on stilts about this tall, and then the other three shuffled underneath and, and slept underneath, and that was life. It was hard to imagine. And so I remember just being struck by the extreme poverty and turning away from there with the team. And as we were walking away down the path to, to the vehicle, saying to one of my, my teammates, I said to him, if you ever hear me grumble about anything ever again, I give you my full permission to slap me in the back of the head. You know where this is going, right? <laughs> it was five minutes later. We were walking down this hillside and, the, and the, the path was rough and my I just had normal shoes which didn't have good ankle support. And I said, man, my shoes really suck. I wish I had better shoes. <laughs> ah, what in the world did you do that for? Well, you told me I could slap you in the back of the head if I ever heard you complain. Touche. Yes, I did. I remember saying that five minutes ago. Oh, man. Boy, isn't it just so easy to revert into this kind of attitude of grumbling and complaining? Like, just so easy. Uh, and, And really, if you think of it, most of our problems here today in this part of the world are what I call first world problems, right? Like the problems only prosperous people to deal with, like slow internet and like, we're only a one-car family. Boy, it would be nice to have two cars. It's like juggling cars thing is really tough, right? Or man, like our living room is kind of too small to accommodate like a bigger group, life group. I wish we had more space. Like if we were to think of it, I think we might find that, that most of our problems we might call first world problems. Good problems to have, I guess. And so even when I tuck my girls into bed at night and I pray with them, that's my job, and I go to the rooms one by one, and the prayers often sound a lot alike. Right? We spend time thanking God for the things he's given. 
We often thank God for the big house we have, a great house built by Randy Porcher. We love it. We thank God that we are healthy when so many people aren't. We thank God that he has given us more food than we need. We thank God, we'll often say, thank you, God, that you have blessed us with so much more than most people have in the world today. You ever prayed a prayer like that? Thankful, God, that we have more than most. And we ought to be thankful for that. But have you ever wondered how those people that you pray to God being thankful that you're not, have you ever wondered how they pray? Like those people that have far less than most, do you ever wonder how they pray and how they give thanksgiving? And so here I was, I was standing at a hut in front of people just like that. And during this trip and in my time in Kenya a few years ago going to Bethel, you know, meeting a lot of people in extreme poverty, the sort of people that I pray to God thinking I'm not. And as I meet these people, I'm just struck, and maybe you've been in these places, I'm always struck by the fact that these are happy people. They have next to nothing. Not only do they have shoes with inadequate ankle support, they have no shoes. And yet, I have found them to be incredibly happy when I've mostly been interacting with with our Christian brothers and sisters in these poor places. Why? Why this happiness when they have so little? Well, it's because they don't believe they have so little, right? what, What I found is it's their faith that makes them happy. It is their relationship with God that is the foundation, the root of all of their joy because they know what what I think, I hope we know, that there really is no greater gift to have than to know God. There's no greater gift to have than to know his love, his unconditional acceptance, his care and his perfect attention to us, to know that regardless of what we go through in this life, we have the gift of life forever with him. There's no greater gift than that and, and, and they have that gift and so these people are incredibly happy This morning, I want to talk about this sort of happiness in a message that I'm calling the chain reaction of thanksgiving. I want to spend a bit of time together in two passages, Psalm 145 and then a little bit in in Romans chapter 10. If you have your Bible, turn to uh, Psalm 145. This is a Psalm of David. I want to read the first six verses of Psalm 145. Words will be up on the screen there as well. David says this, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. We'll stop there. So, David here, he's praising God for all of these great and wonderful works that God has done. Now, now what does David have in mind here? Well, he probably has in mind a few different things. Maybe God's work of creation, Right? How, how in his power he had made all that is. I'm sure he has that in mind as a mighty work. He's probably thinking back to the covenant that God made with Abram. You know this old man 
He and his wife were barren, no children, and how God miraculously gave them a children, and out of them made a great nation that became the people of God, to whom God made this incredible covenant. He probably has that in mind. God's uh, miracle and his covenant faithfulness to his people, how, how he delivered his people out of bondage and slavery in Egypt and led them miraculously through the Red Sea and brought them into this wonderful land, this promised land where they could live freely. I'm sure David had that in mind as he praises God for his wonderful, mighty works. And that's all true. And you know, today, 3,000 years later, we praise God for those same things. But when we today, when we read that, Psalm, what do we praise God for? What are the mighty works that come to our mind? Probably the greatest work of God that that should come to our mind is the work of salvation, for that is the greatest work of God. The work of salvation, what God has done for us and what he has given us through his son Jesus, who he sent into the world to take on flesh, to become one of us, to go to the cross where he bore our sin and paid the penalty of our sin and by his death and resurrection overcame the power of our sin and overcame the power and the grip of death so that we might know God, that we might have a new and unending life with God. Surely this work of salvation is God's greatest work. This is what Paul talks about in Romans 10 verse Nine, when he says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Wow. What a wonderful work. What did God save us from? What did God save? Well, he saved us from a lot. I mean, God saved us from the guilt of our sin, from the punishment of of our sin. You know, he saved us from having to live trapped in the regrets of bad decisions in our past so that we could live a new life, live the life that he created us to have, live, live in forgiveness and unconditional acceptance. He saved us from that sin to live that life. He saved us from fear and anxiety, from kind of wondering what life was all about and wondering if tomorrow something might happen that would undo us and destroy us. He saved us from that fear and anxiety and he saved us for the peace of knowing that no matter what happens, God is with us and for us and will bring us through. He saved us for that. You know, he saved us from from having to wonder whether our life had any meaning whatsoever. He saved us to know that everything that happens is a part of God's purpose for our good and has significant and eternal meaning. That's what God saved us for. Think of all that you have because of Jesus. That those that don't know Jesus don't have. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I think it's a helpful exercise. Can you imagine if you weren't a Christian? Can you imagine if you knew none of that and didn't know God? Like, just pretend for a moment Pretend that you didn't know any of that. What would that be like? What would life be like? Like when you woke up in the morning, you know, to, to, to have no certainty that what happened to you in that day wouldn't, wouldn't destroy you. To have no certainty that all your strivings and efforts and work through life really at the end of the day 
might just be meaningless and end in darkness. To think that it might just end as dust in the ground. Can you imagine if you weren't a Christian? You know, Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians 4 when he says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters. He's talking to people going through loss and suffering. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed so that you won't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and that he rose again. Therefore, we have lives of hope. I don't want you to be like the world who have no hope. Can you imagine what it would be like to not be a Christian, to not know God? But you do know God. Isn't that awesome? You do know. You do know that Jesus died and he rose again so that you might have a relationship with God that goes forever. You do know. So how? How do you know? How do you know God? How did you become a Christian? How were you born again spiritually? Made new as Jesus says when he says, you must be born again spiritually to live a new life. I, I wonder if it's not like being born physically. You know, like you, you did not contribute a whole lot to your physical birth, did you? Like your mom and your dad got together and they called the stork company who sent a stork and delivered you the baby that you asked for. Right? I'm not going to go into details, but you kind of know how it happened, and you didn't have a whole lot to do with it. It was kind of the, res- the, a- the result of the actions of others, and you came about. You were born. And I wonder if, in some sense, that doesn't really help us to understand how we were born again spiritually coming into a relationship with God. Maybe it's not a lot different. Maybe, maybe that too is a result of the actions of other people. That's certainly what David says here in this psalm. Psalm 145, when he says in verse four, he says, one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. I mean, what is, what is David talking about? Well, well, like everything that he knew about God, what God had done, the way he had made the world, the creative act, his, his, his covenant with his people and all the miracles associated with that, how God delivered his people and brought them into the promised land in many miraculous ways, how, how this powerful city of Jericho was overcome by God's power, like all of those things he only knew because one generation told another because somebody told him of God's mighty works. His knowledge was a result of the acts of others. You know, we receive the knowledge of God's work from other people. This is what Paul says. Romans 10. Word should be on the screen there. I'm going to start at verse 13. Paul says this, Romans 10, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Now, if you've got a pencil and you're the sort that likes to mark up your Bible, I would circle the word someone because we're gonna focus on that word. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Now, that word preaching doesn't mean what I'm doing here. It means declaring, proclaiming, sharing, telling. 
And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? For as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now verse 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So, so he asks this kind of rhetorical question. How can you call upon the one of whom you have not uh, believed and how can you believe if you haven't heard and how can you hear unless someone tells you and, 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 and it's kind of a rhetorical question and the answer is you can't you can't believe if you haven't heard and you can't hear unless somebody tells you you know I, I, what both David and what uh, Paul are saying here is we're all kind of like a chain. We're all part of a chain. I've called this message the chain reaction of thanksgiving. But I kind of think of it this way, this chain. We're all a part of a chain, David and Paul says. And, and maybe you're near the end of the chain. Maybe you're the last link on that, on that chain. And the very first link, the beginning of this chain is Jesus. Now you know that Jesus, after his death and resurrection, before he ascended into heaven, he, he entrusted the good news to his disciples who were to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And those he entrusted that good news to, they shared it with someone who shared it with someone who shared it with someone who then told somebody else who shared it with someone and you're wondering if I'm going to do this through the whole chain, aren't you? You're wondering if your ham's going to burn, aren't you? And they shared it with someone. Fast forward, who shared it with someone? Who shared it with someone? Who shared it with someone? Who shared it with the person before you who shared it with you? That's how it worked for every single one of us. That's how it works. We are all links on this great chain so, how, coming back to that question, how do you know God? How do you know God? How is your faith born? Well, you know God because somebody told you about God. Somebody told you the mighty works of God in salvation, right? Isn't that what, if we go back, um, put that verse there up on the screen, Romans 10, 14, isn't that what it said? How can... They believe in the one of whom they have not heard, and how can they hear without, say it? Someone. Okay, I always kind of spring that on you, and then you're not ready. Okay, so now you're ready, so we're going to do it again, okay? How can they hear? I'll back up a little. I'll give you a bit of time. How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard, and how can they hear without someone? Someone preaching to them. Now, it could have been anyone, but it has to be someone. It can't have been no one. It, it has to be someone, right? So I, I guess one of my big points of this message is without someone, you wouldn't know God. That's true for each and every one of us. Without someone, you wouldn't know God. And that's why the word word is so important there. It says, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. The message is heard through the word about Christ. The, the, the word, word, sorry, it's a little confusing. The, the, that's really important there because what, what that reminds us is that the Christian faith is kind of unique. The Christian faith is rooted in history. 
rooted in events that happened way before you were born, things you did not witness. The coming into the world of God's Son, His death and His resurrection from the dead, our our faith is rooted in that greatest reality. And here's the thing, you can't discover that truth on your own. Like nobody can climb to the top of a mountain, cross their legs, do funny things with their fingers, and meditate and, and figure out, oh, that's who God is. That's what he's done. There is no way through meditation, through philosophy, through looking through any microscope that you can discover the true knowledge of God and what he has done. You have to be told. It requires words, whether spoken or written. You know, maybe you know the answer to this question. When did Christopher Columbus sail the ocean blue? 1492. Were you there? You are a liar, Kevin. You repent. Okay, we got some old people here, but like nobody here was in 1492. Well, how do you know Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492? Well, it's because someone who knew who was there told someone who told someone. And so here today, we know that Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. If, if someone didn't t- tell you, you couldn't have climbed to the top of a mountain and figured that out. It would have been impossible. So we have this saying, and you've heard it, And in many cases, it's actually true, but there are cases in which it's not true. The saying is this, actions speak louder than words. You ever heard that? Actions speak louder than words. And so sometimes you'll hear people say, and maybe maybe you've said it yourself, I let my actions do the talking. You know, like some people use, talk with their mouth, and then some people just talk with their lives. You know, they're good neighbors, the kind, the loving, the gracious. I let my life, I let my actions do the talking. Well, that's great, but, but if this is true, what, what, what David has said and what Paul has said here is to know God requires more than actions. To know God requires someone speaking. It requires words. So there's some things that your actions can never communicate. You know, no amount of being a good neighbor no amount of loving your kids good will ever give them the knowledge of the good news of Jesus Christ that we all desperately need. But that someone in your life didn't just act. Thank God. That someone in your life spoke, whoever that person was, whoever those people were, and they told you. They told you the mighty works of God. So my question for you is, who was that someone? Just think about yourself. Who was that someone in your life who spoke, who told you? How did you hear? Uh, Maybe some of you, you know, like it was your parents when you were little. Your parents or your grandparents, they're the ones that told you the good news of God's mighty work in Jesus. So for many of us, maybe it was our parents. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a coworker. For some of us, maybe it was a stranger who spoke on the radio or who wrote something in a book and they have no idea that they, that they told you the good news of Jesus. So maybe it was a stranger. Maybe, maybe it was a friend who invited you to hear that person speak. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher or a pastor. So for who, who was that someone for you? For me, uh, it was my parents who I'm glad are in the room here right now. 
It was my mom and dad from the earliest years I can remember. They told me the great works of God. And my grandma, after my parents, my Marika, my grossmama, uh, who has in many profound ways shared with me the mighty works of God. In fact, she wrote a little book a couple years ago because she didn't want those mighty works to be, uh, to be forgotten. So she wrote a little book recounting the mighty works of God in her life, and she gave it to each of us family members. And so once in a while, we pull it out and read it to my kids. That's really cool. From one generation to the next, we're all part of a chain. So who was it for you that connected you to that chain? Did you get a chain when you came in here? If you did, pull it out. If you didn't, then um, on your way out, make sure you get, a little, you get the little chain. I hope you didn't swallow it. I know some of you like to put things in your mouth. and <clears throat> You'll get a little chain. It should have four links on it. Now, if there's someone in our church that has a sore hand this morning, it's Henry Voth, because I called Henry, and I said, I need 200 links of chain. Four links, Henry, four links. Not five, not three, four links. And he, uh, he made these. This little chain here. That's Jesus, that first link. That second link, that, that's, that's the person who shared Jesus with you. That's your someone. And then that third link, that third link is you. Now, now that second person, your someone, um, they're the ones of whom Paul said there when he said, how beautiful are the feet of those who share good news. So you know, when a pastor like, has to prepare a Thanksgiving message, so he's like, man, there's a lot of things to be thankful for. Like, what direction are we going to go here? Right, we got lots to be thankful for. But I, I just, this morning, I, I kind of want to zero in on something that I think we ought to be extremely thankful for. It's got to be near the top of our list. And I think what we all need to be thankful for is those who know God is to be thankful for the someone. To thank God this morning for beautiful feet apart from whom you would not know him. So who are those beautiful feet? Who's, who's that second link in your little chain there? What I want you to do later today, and, and, and maybe you're a part of a gathering like I am, and you can do this as a group of family or friends, or maybe it's just something that you do on your own. Um, you're gonna have an opportunity. I want to encourage you to reach out to that person if they're still alive. But, but who, ex- um, I guess the question I have for you is, have you expressed thanks, your thankfulness to that person? Maybe it's your parents grandparents, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's your spouse, maybe someone around the table at lunch. Have you expressed recently your thankfulness to that person and your thankfulness to God for that person? What I want to suggest is that, that our, our thanksgiving should really be a chain reaction to being a part of this great chain of the mighty work of God. Let's go back to David's words here because he doesn't just stop there. Because the chain doesn't stop with you. You know that, right? So if you go back to Psalm 145, again, he said, one generation commends your work to another. They tell of your mighty works. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. You see what he's saying there? He's saying, this is a chain. 
and the chain came before me and that generation shared it with me and now I meditate on the mighty work of God and now I will proclaim to the next generation. That's that same word there, proclaim, that Paul uses in Romans 10, verse 14, when someone needs to preach to them. The things I have heard and meditated on, believed in, I will share with another. That's part of the chain reaction of thanksgiving. So if we continue, Paul goes, or uh, David goes on in verse 7. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, God, your faithful Uh, People extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that, say it, all people, it's a delayed reaction, all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. You're catching on. He's saying, I'm not going to be the last link in this chain. One generation shares it to me. I will proclaim God's mighty works to another. So here's my other point. God wants you to be someone, someone. God wants you to be someone, someone. That fourth link on that chain, that, that second link is your someone, that third link is you, but that fourth link that's, the, that's someone to whom you are the someone. You get it? The person to whom you are or will share the mighty works of God. We're all called to do that. None of us are to be the last link. God wants you to be someone, someone. And you know what? You don't have to be, a, you don't have to be Paul. You don't have to be a Bible expert. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be an exceptionally bright or intelligent person to do this. Mm, no, that's not how it works. Salvation is not brought about by eloquent words and philosophical arguments. Well, salvation is brought about when people faithfully speak and God's Holy Spirit works through that in the life of another person. It's not about having all the answers. It's just being able to share God's mighty work in your own life to another I was just thinking of that guy, that blind man, I think it's in John 9, I could be wrong, who meets Jesus and Jesus heals this blind man so he can see and then moves on and this guy doesn't really know much about what happened and so others come, what happened to you? Who was that guy? I don't know who he was. I don't know where he came from. I can't answer your questions. All I know is that I was blind but now I can see. That's what it means to proclaim God's mighty works to another. I don't have all the answers, but here's what I know. God did this in my life. I was living without hope, depressed, anxious, and Jesus changed my life. Jesus gave me hope. Jesus gives me peace, and I think he can do the same for you too in what you're going through. Adding another link to the chain, I will proclaim your mighty deeds. So, as you look at that fourth link, the question we have to ask ourselves is like, who is that? Who is that? Who should that be? Now, for, if, if your parents here in the room, any parents, you, you've, you've maybe already done this with your children. 
Daryl, I loved your prayer, thanking God that you've got two children that are walking with the Lord because mom and dad, they told, and others too. God uses more than one voice. He's got more than one voice. He's got a bunch of someones, but we're called to be someone. So if your parents here, I mean, this is a great reminder of, of the greatest thing that you can give to your kids. I mean, I mean, it's great to save up for them so they can go to college and get a good career and then get set up well in life and establish themselves and maybe have a good family and be prosperous and, and, you know, and, and have some happiness. Oh, that's all great. But parents, the, be reminded the greatest thing that you can give your gift is the knowledge of God's mighty works. So if you're a parent, I know who that next link is on your chain. For you grandparents, the same thing. It'd be great if we could add lots of links to that chain. So who, who is that? Who should that be? So here's what I want you to do. Let me bring this to a close here. Um, I gave this to you so you could take this home and do something with it. I don't want you just to leave it on the floor or throw it in the garbage. I want you to take this little chain home and today, I mean, even around your lunch table would be great if you're with others. But whether you do it with others or whether you do it on your own, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take this chain and I want you to look at that first link and I want you to be reminded that that's Jesus. It all begins with Jesus. He is the mighty work of God. And then I want you to, to thumb over to that second link and I want you to hold that second link and I want you to look on that and I want you to ask yourself, who is that? Who does that link represent in your life? Who is the someone? Who's the someone who told you? And then what I want you to do, if that person is living, I want you to reach out to them and maybe that means reaching across the table and talking to your spouse or your mom or dad or your grandma or grandpa. Or maybe it's someone you haven't seen or heard from, spoken to in a long time. Or maybe it's someone who doesn't even believe in God anymore. In our first service, there was a woman that came up to me kind of emotional and she said, um, she said, what hit me is that person who was my someone has walked away from Jesus. But I'm going to call that person and I'm going to thank that person for being my someone. I said, you do that. How powerful to call up this person who used to walk with God and say, I want to thank you for telling me because it's changed my life. So who is it? If they're still living, find a way to reach out and thank them because their feet are beautiful and that is worthy of thanksgiving. And if they've passed on, then take a moment to thank God for them. And then you thumb over to that third link and you take a few minutes either reflecting on your own or around the table, speaking with those with you. And I want you to just, as, as David said when he said, I meditate God on your mighty works, I want you to do that. I want you to share some of God's mighty works in your life. Share that as that third link. That's you. And then I want you to thumb over to that last link, that fourth link. And I want you to be mindful that that represents the someone to whom you're supposed to be someone. And I want you to ask God, God, who do I need to be someone to? Who is this God? And I want you to ask God for the courage to not just say, I'm going to let my actions do the talking. And your ac actions cannot communicate that. But ask God to give you the courage to tell, to proclaim, to speak the good news of God, the mighty works of God to another.
God can do powerful things with that sort of courage. So that's what I want you to do. And once you've done doing that, just hang that somewhere. Hang it on your mirror. Put it somewhere where you're going to see it so that you can be reminded of the chain reaction of thanksgiving, that we're only a part of this chain because of someone and that we don't want to be the last link of this chain, that we want to be someone to someone. I'm going to close with, with prayer. invite you to pray with me. And the team, the worship team is going to come up and they're going to lead us in a song we've never sung here before, but it's, some of you will know it from the radio. It's a really great, appropriate song called Thank You, God, for Saving Me. And because it's new and, and has such powerful words, I just, they're, they're, you're going to stay seated and they're going to just sing the first verse. And I want you to reflect on those words and reflect on all of you you've heard here. And I want you to meditate on the mighty work of God as they lead us in that first verse. And then they'll invite us to stand and participate and sing that song together and praise God together with them. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we are your children. That we have received a relationship with you through your son Jesus in whom we have believed. We thank you for your mighty works, God. There are so many. It would just fill too many volumes of books to even begin listing them, God, but we know the greatest work is the work you have done for us through your son Jesus, the work of salvation, which you freely give to all who believe, to all who receive him. We thank you, God, that we know you, that you make all the difference in our lives. We thank you, God, for that person or those people who were someone to us, who told us, who were faithful. We thank you, God, for their beautiful feet, and God, we just ask that you would make our feet beautiful too. That we would not be the last link on our chain, but that we would be someone, someone. Show us who that person is. Give us the courage to be that. In Jesus' name, amen.